And welcome to it. John Scholes here and our good pal Chris Justice, courtesy Sam Fury to Mark and LLP. He'll be answering all of your questions tonight. You have workplace inquiries. What's going on at your job? Maybe you've been let go. Maybe you think it's coming down the pike. Maybe you've been given a severance offer. You can always reach Chris, no problem. It is help at employmentlawyer.ca and uh, 1-855-821-5900. Main topic tonight, stress and mental health leave 101. We'll give you the skinny on that, but first we always get to the case of the day. Chris, pal, what do you got going on today? Yeah, actually, I was going to speak to uh, something a lot of people have been hearing about, which is the Rogers takeover of Shaw Communications. And I know as a result of this takeover, and I guess in an effort to eliminate some of the overlapping roles following the takeover, Rogers itself is offering voluntary severance packages to certain Mm -hmm. employees. Sure. And I thought it brought up the, uh, the important issue of, I guess, voluntary packages versus involuntary packages, because... Oftentimes, we'll, of course, talk about situations where um, someone is let go in the ordinary course of things, maybe due to restructuring, and they just have no say in the matter. And so they're offered a severance package. um, And the key question, of course, is often, is that severance package fair and reasonable? Mm -hmm. Um, As we know, and as has been talked about on the show before, you can get upwards of 24 months of severance, depending on uh, the employee themselves, depending on their age, length of service, the position that they had. Right. Um, but in this particular case, there's a situation where a, a voluntary severance package is being offered. And I don't see this too often, but there are situations I've come across in my practice where an employer sort of approaches an employee with what they almost call a mutual separation package. Okay. But in doing so, because it's not your standard, we're letting you go and here's your severance, but more of a, if you want to take it, you can take it. Oftentimes these voluntary severance packages fall, you know, well below what someone's full common law severance rights would be. And so, um, whether you're being voluntarily offered a package or, you know, involuntarily you're being let go, um, you definitely need to speak to a lawyer to get some advice before accepting or rejecting the package. But, you know, if you're in a specific situation like this one with Rogers where voluntary severance packages are being offered, you may actually decide to reject the package and just continue working for the company, um, you know, depending maybe on how, fall, uh, how far short it falls from your severance rights and also maybe how much of a willingness you have to, to continue working there. So I thought it kind of raised that interesting issue, uh, you know, in these cases, you know, I guess Rogers, for example, will have a little bit more leverage to maybe lowball someone since they're not you know, involuntarily, there's no involuntary termination happening. Um, But yeah, all the more reason why I think for people in these kinds of situations, you want to get legal advice first, because, you know, that, you know, whether the the package is is a far cry from your full severance rights or not, like I say, that may be the determining factor on whether you accept it, or maybe instead just continue to maintain your employment with the company itself. So if you're if you're in that situation, and it turns out that the offer they're offering you as a, a voluntary thing is a crummy package, and you just say, yeah, yeah, you know what, thanks, but no thanks. At that point, you just have to wait and see if they'll take it upon themselves to release you, fire you, and they give you the proper severance, or at least fight for the proper severance at that point, right? Yeah, exactly. And of course, you wouldn't necessarily know when that's going to happen. So I think it comes down to maybe at that time when you're offered the package, how badly you want out. Or, or whether you're just content with how things are going, right? So, um, you know, even if you have to take a discount on a severance package based on it being voluntarily offered to you and you having the option, you know, you may just be in a situation in your life where you want to get out and it could actually afford you an opportunity to get something um, rather than, let's say, quit, in which case you're going to get nothing. 
But if, um, yeah, if you're going to turn it down, there, there's no guarantee as to when, when a termination is going to happen. So definitely that's something to consider, I think. Yeah, I'm thinking if you're, uh, you know, if you're of the age where it's like, man, I was going to, uh, I was going to pull the plug and retire in another year and a half or so. Anyway, this sounds like a sweet deal at a perfect timing. In that case, it could be a really good deal, right? It, yeah, it could be a good deal, or perhaps you're going through a lot in the workplace. Maybe you're being harassed by a boss, or there's extenuating circumstances where you're feeling like you want to leave. Maybe it's a constructive dismissal, and you could get your full severance rights, or maybe you don't have as strong of a case but nonetheless are kind of angling to get out. And so, as I say, even though you're taking a discount on, on what your top amount would be, you know, it may actually represent a good deal. Um, but I do also think that uh, another thing we often see, whether it's a voluntary package or an involuntary package, is employers putting deadlines on when to accept packages. Yeah. And I think that even in the case of a voluntary package, while it is a bit different from your standard termination, I don't think people should be assuming that they've got to meet this deadline or otherwise they miss it. Um, as I say, you want to get legal advice. If you need to get an extension, maybe ask the employer for a week's indulgence just to review, consider your options. Um, because, yeah, I think that extra time and, and getting that legal advice could, could be very important either way. Stress and Mental Health Leave 101, that's where we're going after a short break, which we'll do now. Get right back into it. Employment Law Show continues. Hang in there. Chris Justice is your guy answering all the questions, and we'll get to our, our main topic now, pal, for the next uh, few minutes or the remaining minutes of the show. Of course, Stress and Mental Leave uh, 101. Number one, do I have the right, right to take a stress and mental leave? Yeah, absolutely. Employees uh, 100% have the right to take a stress leave, or it's often referred to as a medical leave of absence, or even a mental health leave, uh, if they're unable to work for those health-related reasons. And um, the reason, of course, for the absence must be, in my mind, supported by your doctor. Uh, there are certainly situations where employers don't require an actual doctor's note to go on a leave, and there are some circumstances where it may be practical not to get that note, but um, I generally do myself recommend that employees uh, in these positions provide a note, a doctor's note to their employer to support that absence. Um, if anything, just to create a bit of a paper trail or record for later on, should there be any dispute. Um, and the note should, of course, uh, often reference the prognosis, the, the, I guess, the likelihood of your return uh, and sort of when that would be, if it's possible. You know, your doctor may say the prognosis is guarded, we're not sure yet, we'll uh, kind of take it day by day, which is completely fine, um, but at least the prognosis should be spoken to in some capacity. Yeah. Um, but the diagnosis is the thing that often people uh, are mis uh, have a misconception about. You know, they, they think that they need to provide a diagnosis to their employer. Maybe their employer is asking them to provide a diagnosis. And that's just not information that your employer is generally entitled to, nor do they have the right to know that. But as I say, more so the prognosis and, and maybe what, if any, limitations you have on your return to work. Um, but yeah, once you provide that note to the to the employer, you can take your stress leave. Um, until I guess your doctor clears you to return to work. And uh, again, another misconception is that, you know, someone might be only uh, able to be absent for some days or some weeks, but it can actually be, you know, into years, depending on your situation. So uh, those out there shouldn't assume that your employer can kind of set an arbitrary deadline by which you're to, to return to the workplace. So if you're off on that stress leave, I mean, I guess the question from both the employee and I guess the employer in this case is, you know, can, can the job be filled while that person's off or while I'm off? Can they, can someone else do my job, take my job? 
Yeah, and a lot of people will come to me, they'll be on a leave, and they'll send me a note saying, hey, Chris, I just saw on Job Search website that they're advertising for my position, or I just heard through the grapevine that um, they've got someone replacing me or someone filling in for my duties. And they might think that there's something afoot there, which there definitely could be, but in general, your employer does have the right uh, at least to replace you uh, and what you were doing for that temporary period of time while you're off on the leave. Um, but whenever you are to return, given, uh, I guess, clearance from your doctor and also depending on what limitations or restrictions you have, your employer is then going to be obligated to return you back to the exact same position or something substantially very similar uh, and any conditions that would go uh, along with that when you return. And yeah, unfortunately, a lot of times when people do come back, they're told that they don't have a position anymore or they're told that, you know, maybe they're going to be put into this different role because their replacement has excelled and the company doesn't really see uh, the need to kind of upset the card at that point. Again, still lots of time to call in here live. Talk to us, 416-870-6400. Well, that's, that, that's the question, right? Can I be fired while I'm on leave? Yeah, and uh, in general, no. You know, stress leaves are protected by law. The vast, vast majority of circumstances is going to mean that you have that job protection. Um, the the issue is that if a, if an employer lets somebody go while on a job protected leave, uh, it begs the question as to why they were let go. You know, did it have uh, something to do with the fact that you're on the leave? Um, and there are, I guess, a few circumstances where uh, there might be circ- uh, a situation where it didn't matter whether you were on the leave or not, you were going to be let go, but the optics certainly don't look good. And in general, you have that protection. So I think employers are um, probably wise to to not do that. But unfortunately, a lot of employers are unaware of what the law says or just simply choose to ignore the law and terminate someone's employment, even though they're on this leave of absence. And as I say, if it's found that even 1% of the reason that the person was let go had to do something with the leave or but for the leave it wouldn't have happened, that's when the employer is going to be in some serious trouble and, and not only on the hook for having to pay that employee their full severance payment, but also you know potentially human rights violations as well um, based on the, the medical leave itself. Covering off stress and mental health leave 101 can, uh, well, how about this? Do I get compensation then if I'm fired during the yeah, yeah. So you are, in most cases, going to be owed your full severance pay. Um, as I say, it brings into question whether there's a human rights violation. Um, so that's one thing. But yeah, on the severance side of thing, you're going to be owed your full severance. Now, there could be something in a contract that uh, tries to limit your severance entitlements. However, if you've been let go and there is evidence to suggest it's because you're on a leave, your employer then is going to be very unlikely going to be able to rely on a contract that limits your rights because in that kind of a scenario, what they're basically doing is they're, they're trying to have their cake and eat it too. They're trying on the one hand to violate your rights in terms of the human rights, um, which is an implied part of any contract of employment, but then attempt to rely on another part of your contract that benefits them. And so sometimes even if a contract does ordinarily limit someone's rights uh, in, t- in the event of a termination. In these tip, uh, cert- circumstances, when there's a leave and someone's let go based on a leave, as I say, employers are going to have a very difficult time doing that. And so, as I said before at the outset of the show, you could be looking at upwards of 24 months' pay just on the severance piece alone. So let's assume that I, you know somebody was off on leave. Now they're set to come back. Can that employer make some changes to the employee and the job itself when they return from a leave? 
Yeah, in general, they cannot. Uh, there would have to be some contractual right uh, for your employer to do that, and I haven't really come across uh, many, if any, circumstances where that's the case in this particular situation. So um, if your employer does make significant changes to core aspects of your job, things like your pay, position, your duties, maybe your location, without your consent, then that's where there's another scenario where they're violating the terms of your employment, they're breaching your contract, and that could result in a constructive dismissal, which in the eyes of the law is going to be treated very similar to a termination without cause. Um, plus, as I say, the, the added component of the human rights or bad faith damages, depending on uh, the way in which the employer carries out that termination itself. You mentioned accommodation or restrictions upon uh, returning to the workplace. Um, how does that, f- what if I need some, or what if the person needs some, some reasonable accommodation has to be done, yeah? Yeah, so in general, employers have an obligation to accommodate their employees, whether it has to do with just simply accommodating the absence, which I said, you know, could last upwards of multiple years, um, but also on the return itself. So uh, again, you've got a doctor's note, maybe by the time the employee is set to return, the doctor is recommending that they don't lift a certain amount or that they don't stand or sit for a certain period of time, uh, assuming that's not going to be an undue hardship to the employer the employers uh, got to accommodate that situation. It's very rare for employers to be able to establish undue hardship, you know, even if there's inconvenience or even actual monetary cost to the accommodation. In a lot of cases, that's not going to be enough for the employer uh, to get off the hook without having to accommodate. And also, I want to say that if you're someone in a situation where you've taken a leave or you're asking for accommodation and your employer treats this in a negative way or in some, ha- uh, in some way, I guess, retaliates against you because you took the leave or because you're asking for accommodations, which the employer may find aggravating or inconveniencing, um, you know, that's going to be something that's going to be punished by the law. That's something that's illegal, you know, reprisal against somebody for taking that leave or for asking for those accommodations. Um, so yeah, the employers do have this obligation, and uh, again, unfortunately, a lot of them try to skirt it, uh, but you know, ultimately to their demise in most cases. And it's it's a pretty high threshold, and I guess the threshold gets even higher depending on the resources and size of the company too, right? Yeah, yeah. So mom and pop shop, maybe they get away with a bit lower of a bar when it comes to establishing an undue hardship. But for bigger employers, say you're working for Amazon or Walmart or whatever, then absolutely, you know, with the resources they have, uh, there's going to be a greater expectation on them from the courts to provide those accommodations, um, whatever degree they may be and for however long they may need to be in place. Dealing with a bad boss, let's switch over this. I love this topic, by the way. It's a good one. So what would you say, Chris, the most common bad bosses employees may encounter? Yeah, so there's there's sort of one type of a bad boss who will be somewhat of an absentee boss or manager. They'll, they'll ignore you for the vast majority of the time, um, but then maybe an issue comes up, uh, something to do with your performance, something to do with, with your job uh, that they take a particular issue with, and maybe try to make a meal out of it. You know, it'd be a boss who essentially jeopardizes your job and job security and they don't provide the support that you need uh, and at least perceive you as doing something wrong and then maybe angle towards getting you out or pushing you out, um, whatever the case may be. So that's kind of, I guess, one type of bad boss I'll often see. Uh, the other bad boss would be the one who 
um, doesn't ignore you for long periods of time, but actually just consistently mistreats you or subjects you to bullying, intimidation, harassment. And it's just a general nightmare to be around the boss on a day-to-day -day basis. And I would say in most cases, that's going to be the more uh, aggravating and serious situation, especially if there's issues of harassment, um, which of course we know employers have to keep work environments safe and healthy and free of harassment. But I'd say the bad bosses can kind of be broken down into those two general broad categories. I'm sure we've all had them at some time during our work career, not so good boss. And, you know, you kind of grow a bit of a thick skin to a certain point, but at what point do you know you have to, you got to do something about the bad boss because it's just driving you crazy. Yeah. So, so again, if, if we're looking at the first category of the bad boss, the one who's sort of trying to do everything they can or, or what they can to jeopardize your job and, and put it in, in sort of an insecure state, um, you need to be able to recognize that your job is in jeopardy and, and sort of try to understand what kind of case may be built against you in order to push you out. And you need to do something when you find that out. You need to make your voice heard, which a lot of times, whether it's bad bosses or, or a lot of workplace issues, people just tend to go silent and not really deal with it. Or maybe they talk to a friend of theirs, but never really raise it directly with the boss or, or with the company themselves. And it's not really helpful for that person. You know, silence will often be seen as someone having accepted the conduct, uh, maybe begrudgingly, but accepted the conduct. And that's not what you want if you're in a situation like that, you know, thinking, you know, I'm just going to put my head down. I'll be a team player. Things are going to get better. It's going to work out. But then things keep going on and on and on. And then later on, it becomes that much more difficult for you to sort of assert your rights, to stand your ground, to claim that maybe there's been a constructive dismissal, you know, on the basis of, of this uh, bad boss. Um, so you do want to make your voice uh, heard and you want to sort of document, document, document always uh, your interactions, whether it be uh, like in a diary or a journal. Um, so that's one one situation where they're building a case against you. But otherwise, if you just feel as though the work environment is becoming overly toxic and you just don't want to go into the workplace, maybe your health is taking a hit, you know, that's certainly going to be another uh, situation where you're going to want to do something and, and sort of make your voice heard. Well, that's, a, that's an interesting statement because if you get to the point where, I mean, it's going to be uncomfortable to deal with the boss and, and approach them if they're the one being the bad boss, your direct supervisor. But if that's the case and nothing happens, what do you do? Do I come see you? Yeah, well, I guess there's a number of different things you could do. On the one hand, you could go to the boss themselves, your manager or whatnot, and try to hash it out. The thing is, is that for the most part, the boss is not going to admit they're a bad boss. They're not going to agree that they've engaged in harassing conduct or that they're bullying you or intimidating you. Maybe you can get a couple of concessions out of them, but for the most part, there's probably going to be a big disagreement between the two of you, um, which is why, again, I think it's important to be diarizing these things, to be noting these things down, because if you get into that battle between you and your boss where you've gone to them to address it and they just have a completely different viewpoint, having that record, having those notes is going to make you come off even that much more credible so that if there is maybe a breakdown or you can't actually speak to the boss themselves at all, you can at least go to HR, maybe the owner of the company, um, you know, some sort of central point where maybe things can be taken care of at that point. And that's, as I say, where the evidence, the documents and everything's going to come in hand because naturally that HR person or that owner is going to go to the boss and get their side of things. And as I say, you want to try to avoid the he said, she said as much as possible. But 
if there if there's no option of going to the boss depending on the situation there's no HR there's no owner you can talk to then I think at that point probably your best bet would be to go to a lawyer and get some advice in the first instance um, to hopefully kind of go through the proper steps and, and get that situation resolved sometimes your frustration just boils over is, is it ever a good good idea just to quit if you can't you know put up with your boss's BS anymore yeah, you definitely don't want to just upright quit, send a note saying something like you resign. Anytime uh, someone is even considering putting an email, even if it's a one or two liner to say that they've quit, even if in the email they're going to reference maybe why they've quit, um, I would suggest get legal advice first. You want to make sure you're properly communicating, you're saying the right things. It may be the case that the appropriate step is to send an email saying you've quit and in doing so specify the reasons so everyone knows on the face of it it's not a voluntary resignation but more of a you know you're being pushed out situation but but still you want to get some legal advice first just so that you don't say anything that could end up hurting you because even one or two misplaced words could could sort of harm you down the road and um, as I say that's why legal advice is paramount in these cases does it change the dynamic of severance at all in this situation or no it's still the same thing um, if if you are sorry if you're if you send in a resignation note no, I mean, if you're, you know, you're dealing with this bad boss, you want to get him out of that workplace, yeah. constructive dismissal, so on and so forth. Does it affect the severance number at all? Or no? Yeah, well, if it's found that your employer has breached the terms of your employment and, you know, any employment relationship is going to have an implied term where you're to be treated with civility, dignity, respect. If you've raised your concerns, especially with the company or with HR, or with the ownership, and nothing's been done, it's been brushed under the rug, then absolutely, your employer has failed to deal with the situation. They've failed to arguably protect you under occupational health and safety legislation. And that could therefore result in a constructive dismissal, which would entitle you to the exact uh, same full severance you would get if you were let go, not to mention potential additional damages for the bad faith conduct and you know, to what extent, I guess, the company dropped the ball when it comes to dealing with those valid concerns. A lot of good stuff there. Packed a lot in that half hour. We're going to leave it there for now. You want to reach out to Chris. You can do so now is your uh, opportunity or any time for that matter. How do you do it? Simple. 1-855-821-5900. Help at employmentlawyer.ca and the website pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. We'll catch you next time right here on the Employment Law Show.